Go ahead and turn back to Matthew 19. Uh, we're going to be starting at verse 13. Last week we, we celebrated Easter, and, and the biggest things that I, that I wanted for us to see that I thought was just so big for um, last week was just to see that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of that truth, that that leads us to have this overwhelming hope and this, this joy that Peter described as being inexpressible. I don't want to say that there's no joy in the text this week or that we're not supposed to have joy. But honestly, like the, a big part of this passage we're going to be in is one of the most tragic in Scripture. We see a man come across Jesus. We see a man who encounters Jesus and yet follows the way of the world. And I think that is, it explains and describes a reality for many, many, many people today, um, both inside the church, outside the church, and it's just a reality. Go, as we've been going through Matthew 18 and 19, mainly through 18, we said that, that Matthew was describing, that Jesus was teaching about kind of what it looks like to be the community of faith, what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a community following Jesus altogether, specifically that of a local church. Um, if you look at what Tana preached on two weeks ago and then to, this morning, we see some things that rock the church, that can invade the church. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about divorce and how the, the, everything about it, the, the messiness of it, is, is really a gospel issue. That, that any sort of attack on marriage... Just, it has huge implications for the church. And this morning we're going to see another way that sin kind of attacks, that, that we're, we're so drawn away by the world. And I know I, I've said this before, and it didn't really turn out to be this way. Um, like a two-part sermon, and then last time I said this, the second part really went a different direction, and it didn't end up looking like a two-part sermon at all, but... This is really part one. I, as of right now, I really feel like this is part one of a two-part sermon. Um, until Friday, I was going through a lot more verses. This has happened before. And then Friday rolls around, and the amount of verses, it gets way cut back just because there's so much there. So it really is going to be um, a two-part sermon. But if we're to really understand and really get next week, we've got to get today what Jesus is really teaching today, this encounter with this rich young ruler. So I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 19, 13 through 22. It should be up on the screen as well. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them, Jesus, and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. You will have a treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Before anyone gets confused or distracted, um, I just want to say I'm going to spend most of my time in 16 through 22. I know I, I say this because I know that if I was listening, I would be very distracted by the fact that there were three verses that I read, and then it doesn't seem like I'm going to go through those a lot. Um, we are going through 13 through 15. Uh, I'm going to kind of come back when we tie all this in together at the end. But I, know, I just know that I would be distracted by that if I was listening to this. So just know that. Um, I think those verses are very, very important. But this passage is one that's very common for those that have been in church for any length of time. This is a very familiar passage. Um, I think that's partly because this is one of the most easily applicable It's a very applicable section, but it's also a very tragic section. Um, We see a man come across Jesus, and just like I said, he says, no, I think I'm going to love the world more. I think I'm going to love what I have here. I think I'm going to love my wealth, my possessions more. And he walks away sorrowful. He He walks away from Jesus. And this isn't how it's supposed to work, right? This isn't how evangelism is supposed to work. This is surely something went wrong here. Or surely Jesus did evangelism wrong. I want to make a statement and an assumption based on this passage that I think we can all agree on. That this man walked away from Jesus unsaved. He walked away after the world, unsaved, still in his sin. If you look at the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, this was the one who Jesus, kind of, who Jesus described as the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. He's going after the right thing. We're going to see in a couple of minutes. His ultimate goal, his desire, what he wants, is not necessarily a bad desire. It's just how he's trying to get that. But Jesus, or the, the man walks away unsaved. And I've heard some people say that Jesus here is preaching a works-based salvation. Jesus saying, do this, do this, and you can be saved. Do this, and you will inherit eternal life. But listen to what he says. Jesus says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. The man asks, which one? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? It's initially kind of shocking, what... This man actually believes he's kept all those. This man actually says, yeah, I, I've done those. And I thought a lot about it this week and read into it. And what, do the, what did the religious leaders, what did the Jewish law, like what did they actually believe? And surely he can't believe that he was following the law 100%. But then even Paul in Philippians 3, as he's describing himself, kind of given his credentials, he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. They, they, they truly believed that they were following the law. They were doing what was required. But I don't think Jesus is preaching, it's not that I don't think, Jesus is not preaching a works-based salvation here. He's not telling the man, just follow these Old Testament laws, do all these things, and you will be given a, an eternal life, that you'll be given what you're desiring. 
But he actually uses that to point out something that he is lacking, something more important than keeping an Old Testament law that he's lacking. Much of what, much of this teaching, much of the attitude of this rich young ruler, I think, are, is desirable. I mean, it's, we should admire a lot, a, a lot of this. Matthew says that he's a rich man. Luke adds that he's a ruler of some sort. It doesn't say exactly what um, his position or title or all that is, but I don't think it's far-fetched to think that he could be a Pharisee based on the fact that he is claiming all this obedience to the law and his um, self-proclaimed adherence to the law. Uh, It doesn't necessarily matter, but in his prominence, in, in his position, he still comes to Jesus knowing that he's missing something. He comes and says, yeah, I don't have it all. There's something I'm missing. And he goes to the right place for the answers. And I don't usually get into the Greek much at all. But the, the, what he's seeking here, the eternal life, there's two separate words that are often used for that. One that focuses more on the quality of the eternal life and one that focuses more on the quantity. Let me explain. So, one would focus on I mean, after the Holy Grail, you're just looking for eternal life that doesn't end. You're seeking eternal life, focused on the eternal, just forever. Whereas the other word focuses on the quality of it. Focuses on the life spent eternally with God. And that's the one he uses. That's what he's desiring. Again, seems like the right desire. Seems like that is what he should be wanting. But, we, but Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, this is the, guy, the man's heart, and what he's doing, that's, that's big, what he's doing to try to earn this, what he's trying to do to show that he is worth, that he should be given this eternal life. He's asking for more laws to obey. He's asking for more things to do, more good works to do. And that's where you start to get to the heart of the matter. And I didn't, don't have my points up on the screen like I did last week. We'll see if I continue to do that. But the biggest thing, the biggest first point, if you want to call it that, is that the we, there's nothing that we can add to the gospel. There's nothing else that we can add to try to make it better, to try to do it ourselves. There's nothing that we can add. There's no good deed we can do. We, we, we can't add to it. Following the commandments of God following the law, following the Ten Commandments, are, it, that's not what saves you. It can, it can show us, as we're saved, we're going to obey His commandments. We're going to want to do that. But them, in and of themselves, are not what saves us. The only hope for that is the gospel. I mean, the only hope to be saved, the only hope to be made right with God is Jesus, is Jesus' death, His resurrection. That's what we celebrated last week. We said, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. And that's our only hope. And because of this, you see Jesus' commands in Matthew 16 where he says, just pick up your cross, follow me. That's what he's asking. Die to yourself. Pick up the killing instrument and because you're dying to yourself. You're dying to your own desires. And this is where the guy kind of threw on the brakes. And this is where he was unwilling to be. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Basically, when he found out that the answer to his question was nothing that he could do, nothing that he could do to somehow earn this, he was disappointed. He walked away upset. When we went to the Gospel Coalition Conference a couple weeks ago, we, they, they preached straight through the book of Galatians. And over and over and over, one big thing was kind of the main theme of the week was no other gospel. That it was the gospel and the gospel alone. And as the guys teach through Galatians, it was just absolutely phenomenal how, they, how well they were able to preach. And I'm extremely jealous. But if I could, so I, tried to, I looked through my notes of all the sermons and tried to see if I could summarize Galatians in just a few sentences. And here's what I kind of narrowed it down to. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, is the only way we can be saved. No work of our own, no obedience to any law, no self-earned anything will justify us before the Almighty God. The gospel and the gospel alone is our hope. There is no other gospel. Basically, in Galatians, there is people that come in and saying, yeah, the gospel's good. Yeah, Jesus is good. He died for you. But to be saved, you've got to do this and this and this. You still have to be circumcised. You still have to follow these laws and these rituals and these traditions and these Old Testament festivities and festivals and all those different things. And Paul comes in very emphatically saying, no, 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 no. Like It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only the gospel. Nothing added to it. Nothing altering it. Just Jesus. That's all. He would go on to say that if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. John Piper said that a little bit more emphatically, and I know Tanner really enjoyed that. But, but seriously, just the weight of that. If anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. I mean, that's very clear. But that's what this man in this passage is trying to do. He's like, no, tell me something I can do. Tell me some good deed I can do to inherit eternal life. He wanted something else for his checkbox. His follow the law, check. Give to the poor, check. Do good deeds, check. Jesus, check. He was, that's what he was after. He says, what can I do? What's one more thing I can do? And I know some people live by to-do lists and check, by, like, check off, check off. My wife is one of them. But... Tiffany is too. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, if, you talk, if we're talking salvation, if we're talking how we are saved, there's only one checkbox, and that's what Jesus has already done. Following the law, doing good deeds, giving to the poor, great. That's not what saves you. Like, Jesus died a death that only he could die for us. That, that's all there is. He rose from the grave, defeated death. Justified before, we are justified before God. That is it. That is it. And here's a question that I, that I want to ask. And this is not an answer out loud question, but it's also not a rhetorical question. But what are you doing to try to earn salvation? And I don't think we would ever say, yep, this is what I'm trying to do. But really think about that. What are we trying to do to earn salvation? It's so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to fall into that. Well, I have to read my Bible. We feel super guilty if we don't read our Bible. We, we feel guilty if we're not reading through the Bible in a year. We do, at the very least, we're trying to prove to God why he saved us. 
See, God, I'm, I'm being a good person. See, I'm doing all these things. But that's, that's not it. These are good things. Reading the Bible, yeah. Coming to church, giving to the poor, doing good works, all great things. But not if we're trusting in them for salvation. Not if we're trusting that that's what's saving us. Paul is very clear here in Galatians that it's nothing else. It's Jesus. It's his death. It's his resurrection. It's being saved through his blood. That's the only thing. So anything else we're trying to hold on to, anything else we're trying to make God is, is worthless. It's, it's, it's dumb. Like nothing else we have in the world is worth it. We might as well let it all go to follow him. And that's kind of like the second thing is that Jesus is better than anything we could possibly hope for or hold on to. What we see is Jesus, as he talked to this man, Jesus went right. He didn't just say, this man was looking for a checkbox. He was looking for something he could do. And Jesus didn't say, didn't just add, well, follow me. It wasn't just that. He went right after this man's sin. And I think part of it we say, he did evangelism wrong. He scared this guy off because he talked about the man's sin. He went right to it. Jesus, unfortunately, I say unfortunately. Unfortunately, we don't have, we don't know a person's heart. We can't go and say, I know exactly what this person is thinking. I know where their heart's at. Jesus can do that. Jesus knew this man. He knew this man's treasure. He knew this man's value was in his wealth, in what he had. He knew that he valued those above all other things. And that he was looking for something to add to it. He was looking for something to add to his repertoire of things he was doing. The Bible is very clear. Salvation is not for people that are just trying to do. Salvation is not for people that are trying to earn it. Salvation is not for people that are trying to find another checkbox to do so they can be a good person. This is from John MacArthur. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy quote, but I think it's, it's just huge here. He says, salvation is for people who despair of their own efforts, who realize that in themselves and by themselves they are hopelessly sinful and incapable of improving. Salvation is for those who see themselves as living violations of his holiness and who confess and turn from their sin and throw themselves on God's mercy. It is for those who recognize they have absolutely nothing good to give God that anything good they receive or accomplish can only be by his sovereign, gracious provision in Christ. Like, this is not describing the man in this passage. This is not the heart of the man coming to Jesus here. This is not the heart of most people in the world. And I think it's safe to say this is quite possible not the heart of all of us in here. Basically what he went to this guy and said, until you value me more than you value your stuff, you can't be saved. Until you value me, following me more, you don't get it. But I feel like it's really important to point out the differences here because, like I said, Jesus knows the heart. He, he knew the heart of this man. He knew exactly where the, this guy was valuing. We don't. When, 
please, like, when we, if you're sharing the gospel with someone, we don't say, well, you have nice stuff, you have nice things, obviously you're going to cherish those more than you cherish Jesus, Jesus so you're going to need to get rid of those before you can be saved. We don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Like, judging the heart is for God and God alone. For us to do that is sin. But we still have to talk about sin. You cannot share the gospel without talking about sin. If you don't understand your need to be saved, you're not going to realize your need to be saved because of your sin. If we're just telling people about this wonderful plan that God has for their life, if that's all we're talking about when we're talking, sharing the gospel, then we're missing the huge part that says if they don't repent from their sin, that there is no good plan. There's hell. If all we're talking about is God's love for them, if that's all we're talking about, then we're missing a huge part of the gospel. We're missing that in spite, like God loves but people are under the wrath of God because of their sin. Like, then comes the full gospel. Then comes Jesus. Then comes his work, his, his final work that he did on the cross. But just like I said, we, like, people can't be saved if they don't understand they're sinners. The guy in the passage is very, seems very unwilling to admit that there's sin in his life, or at least address it. So he walked away. In our, in our CG this week, we talked about, we, we've been, we just started going through Romans, and we, we went through Romans 1, and one thing we said was that Romans is very clear, at least the way it starts, is very, very clear about sin, about the wickedness of man, the man's rebellion against God, and how, because of that, we deserve to die. It's, it's very, very clear. It's going to be like that for a couple more chapters. But the thing is, like, at the root, something we said was, at the root of sin, somewhere, is you're valuing something above God. Whatever it is, you're valuing something above God. Momentarily, temporarily, but you're placing that above God. You're saying that for right now, this, this moment, that's more important. And this is what's happening here. This is this man that says, my wealth is more important. My money is more important. My possessions are more important. But before we, we're very quick, I think, to say, shame on you. You had Jesus right in front of you, and you said, I want that instead. Like, before we do that, like, speaking specifically to Christians in the room, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and yet we would still go after something else instead of Jesus. Momentarily, temporarily. I want to challenge you, and it comes with a bigger challenge here in a couple of minutes, but what in your life are you most tempted to try to make God? What are, you, what are you most tempted to try to cling to more tightly than you are to Jesus? Like, what are you worshiping? Is it, there's so many things, the list could go on and on and on. Is it your job? Is it your career? Is it your education? Is it your temporary, your time in school? Is it a sinful addiction that you just can't overcome? Is it your possessions? Is it the desire for a relationship? Is it friends? 
is the theology, just more head knowledge about God? Is it yourself? Is it your family? Is it your children? A lot of these things are not bad things. A lot of these things are really good things. A lot of these things are gifts from God. But they all make really crummy gods. And my, my, my challenge, I guess, would, would be going to someone who you're really close with, who, a really good friend, a, a spouse, a, a parent, a, a really close friend that knows you well, and asking them what they see in your life. What the, do they see anything in your life where you're prone to run after that or, or hold on to that more tightly than you are to Jesus? Like, I'm not saying go to someone else and say, here's what I see in your life. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying to go and ask somebody else what they see in your life. That's someone who knows you well. Because if this is really important, if we're talking about pursuing Christ with everything above everything else, this is really important. This is us growing together. This is us this is iron sharpening iron. But for us to totally do this, for us to do this completely, we're going to need so much grace. We're going to need so much mercy because we can't do this. We are so dependent on Jesus here. We are 100% dependent on Jesus. That's number three, I guess, if you're taking notes. And it's something that I said back when we did Matthew 18. When we first started 18, we said that we are so dependent on Jesus. And in, verse eight, in chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said this about children. He said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's where we're going to go back to verse 13 through 15 real quick. This is a very similar idea that Jesus is, a big thing he's talking about here. Again, he says, Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Jesus, knowing being a great teacher, being a rabbi, being this guy who's known for doing all these miraculous healings, people would have been bringing their children to him to bless. And it's very similar right, to like the culture. They, people brought their babies to rabbis for them to bless, similar to like a baby dedication. And we're going to see next week, specifically, the disciples get their priorities all out of whack. They get uh, all sorts of confused. They're, they're focusing on the wrong thing. And you, that is definitely here in these three verses, the, the disciples focusing on the wrong thing. And Jesus says, no, stop. And I'm not going to focus on that a whole lot in these we could have camped out in these three verses and done 
an entire sermon, spent an entire morning looking at just these three verses. But what I want to see is what, what Jesus is saying about these children. Again, it's, it's children like these that inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It's the same point that I made last time. It's the same point that he says in Matthew 18. I, made a, I said a sentence similar to, we are totally, utterly, completely, 100% in every way dependent on Jesus. Like That is all we got. And that's all we need. This may sound goofy, but really just picture in your head Jesus holding a little baby in his arms. The parents have brought him up and said, here, pray for him. Jesus is holding this little baby. Jesus is not, the baby is not holding on to Jesus. Jesus is holding this little baby. If Jesus lets go, the baby falls. This is why I'm terrified to hold little bitty babies. I mean, once they start holding on a little bit, love it. But until they start holding on, I'm terrified. Like, put me in a big cushy couch or something. Just So even when I text Kevin to come see the babies, they're... But, but seriously, because the, the babies are dependent. That's, they're at the mercy of the one holding them. They're not holding on. But picture that. The child Jesus is holding, he's saying that it's ones like these that inherit the kingdom of heaven. To these belong the kingdom of heaven. He's not just saying this specific child or this baby is somehow ultimately saved. What he's saying is that it's those like these children, those that are in de- their dependence like these children are those that are saved. And like we, to be saved, we're just as dependent. Just as Jesus holding this little baby, that baby was dependent on Jesus, we are just that dependent. And there's nothing that we can do to somehow save ourselves. That rich young man, that's what he was doing. He was looking for something he could do to save himself. He was looking for something to check off. He was looking for that deed. He was looking for that good thing to do. He wanted to somehow be self-reliant and rely on himself to be saved. I listened to Matt Chandler a lot, and in his sermon last week, he he said one thing. He said, we always default. Humans, we default to self-reliance. Like, because we, think, we somehow think we can do it ourselves. We somehow think we can trust ourselves. That is our default. That is not the gospel. That's not how Jesus saves us. Worshiping anything else, worshiping any other thing we try to make God, trusting in any other work, trusting in some good deed, trusting in some law that we're doing, All those things make really awful gods. Trusting in ourselves, we make a pretty awful God if we're trying to trust in ourselves. And just this this picture of Jesus holding a baby. Like, do we realize we're just that dependent on Him? For the, just for us. Like, it doesn't matter 
what we've chased in life up to this point. It doesn't matter what we've trusted in. It doesn't matter if we've tried so hard to trust in fulfillment in, somewhere, in something else. We tried to trust in our, ourselves doing it. If we tried to trust in anything else, we tried to trust in drugs, we tried to trust in alcohol, we've tried to trust in money or anything, trust in ourselves doing it, ourselves being good. Like the, what Jesus is saying right now is he's, he's telling the man, follow me. Everything else doesn't matter. Let it go. Your heart, what your heart is, is on, what your heart is valuing, if it's not Jesus, he's saying let it go. He's not saying do this, do that, and then I'll save you. He's not saying Jesus died for you and checked off the first box and now you've got to do number two, three, and four. And here's, going back to that John MacArthur quote, what he was saying is like, salvation is not for those that think they've got it, think they know it all, think they are, are so are good and they're going to save themselves. That's not, salvation is for those that are completely broken, know they have nothing good, and just throw, it says throw themselves on God's mercy. It doesn't say we have to know, we have to know deep theology, we have to know all the churchy words, we have to, we have to know the ins and the outs of all the Bible. Those that are saved, just those that basically throw themselves at Jesus and say, I'm following you. Everything else I got, all the, all the other stuff is worthless. Whatever you say, I trust that you've done it all. I trust that you've done what's required. I'm just following you. I trust your word. I don't even know it all, but I trust that whatever you say is true. It's that type of heart that Jesus is saying, you're dependent on me. And I, and I want us to see that. I, I, I'm going to pray specifically that we would see that there's nothing else that can save us. And even as we're saved, that there's nothing else that we should try to rely on because it's Jesus. He's already done it. And he's just saying, follow. Just follow me. Just follow me. And anything else we're trusting in, being good, any other broken thing that we're trying to even temporarily, momentarily make our God is a really crummy God. I just want all of our hearts, and that's what Jesus is saying. We said all through Matthew, say it one more time. Just wants our hearts. He wants us to just surrender and say, I'm yours. And he wants our hearts. And that, and that is my prayer. That, that, that should be where we're at.